Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Each week at this time, you can hear beautiful music and a powerful message from God's Word by our pastor, Dr. Randy Ray. Stay tuned for the next 60 minutes to Family Bible Hour. Take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 22, and we're going to look at uh, verse 7 in just a moment. And the title of the message today, or the title of the series, is Our Wicked Ways, and the title of the message is Debt. We have a series that we're beginning today, probably a five or six week series. It will not be an extended long series, about five or six weeks. Whether you're a a teen or a 20-something, maybe a middle-aged adult or a senior citizen, in the time that you have lived on this earth, America has marched steadily on the road toward hell. Now, there'd be some other way to say that. But that is the right way to say it. We are more foolish today than we were only a few years ago. We are more financially unstable today, and we are much more immoral today than we were 30 years ago, a decade ago, even a couple of years ago. There are illustrations in every area of American life that point to our decline. The Parents Television Council, or PTC, a uh, nonprofit organization dedicated to educating parents about television content, has released a new study looking at nudity on primetime broadcast television that reveals a major increase over the 2011-2013 season. The study found that there were 76 incidents of full nudity on 37 shows uh, compared to 15 incidents on 14 shows the previous rating season, which is a 407% increase in uh, nudity on television, on broadcast television. Almost, now I'm not talking about cable, I'm talking about broadcast, what you get off the rabbit ears. Almost 70% of the scenes that featured such nudity were on shows that aired prior to 9 p.m. compared to 50% of the full nudity scenes which aired before 9 p.m. during the 2010-2011 season. In the 2010 and 2011 season, there was only one documented uh, incident in this category Uh, I guess, of the full nudity uh, prior to uh, 9 p.m. The the body areas uh, in these nudity scenes that are considered to be most explicit are blurred. Everybody here has seen that. Those body areas are blurred. However, according to Melissa Henson of the the, uh, Parent or the Parents Television Council, The impact, she says, is virtually the same as actually showing it. Just as bleeping an F word or an S word is virtually the same as airing the actual word. Henson continued, it just calls attention to that which has been edited out or blurred out. Everybody here has watched a program 
and you, you've seen on that program somebody drop the F-bomb and they blurred their mouth and they bleed. But does anybody in here not know uh, what they were doing? Of course we know what they were doing. Now, <clears throat> the thing that, that should concern you is the level of increase that this has had just in the last 24 months <clears throat> or the last 48 months. Now, I use that as an illustration of where we are as a country today. For the next few weeks, I want to bring a series of messages aimed at the issues facing our nation today. And it's because we are in a time of wickedness that is unparalleled in the history of our nation, and I believe in the history of our world, that I'm calling this series, Our Wicked Ways. There is an answer to our national crisis but not without making some changes. And I want you to know that the Bible speaks to most of the crises that we are facing today in our country. Here's what uh, 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says. In fact, Coach Bowden quoted this a couple of Sundays ago. And I want us to to at least try to quote it once uh, during the course of every one of these messages. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if you'll read this aloud with me, please. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now that's a promise of God to the children of Israel. My question is, do you think God is any less serious about that promise to us today? No. If we will humble ourselves and and seek his face and pray and turn from our wicked ways, then he will heal our land. And so today I begin the series of our wicked ways talking about the wicked debt that we are living under in our country and in our homes. Here's a single verse that puts into perspective life in 2012. Some of you didn't even know this verse was in Scripture. Here it is, Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Let's read that last part. The borrower is the slave of the lender. Would you read that with me? The borrower is the slave of the lender. Would you read it again? Would you read it as though this, this shocks you, that you would see this in the Bible, that this shocks you knowing the condition of our world today? Would you read that last part again? The borrower is the slave of the lender. <clears throat> That's the reality, folks. I prepared this message <clears throat> on August the 23rd. And as of uh, that, uh, well, let me, go, let me go back just a minute. The book of Proverbs is filled with everyday practical wisdom. It's also the Word of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and instruction in righteousness. Proverbs 22.7 is both instruction and reproof. And while many issues are addressed, financial matters are specifically examined. And these issues have an effect on us individually and as a nation. Now, there should be a graphic up there, guys, with the national debt. Uh, I don't know if that graphic is up there or not, but uh, I sent it through, and it should be up there. I prepared this message on August the 23rd, and is it not up there? Okay, well, there you go. 
<clears throat> I prepared this message on August the 23rd, and as of that date, our national debt was, and I wish it was up there so you could see it, $15,976,811,000, excuse me, 15 trillion, it's hard to even read, $15,976,811,901,282.93. That was our national debt. Now, now some people think that the national debt is just some clock that's running up in New York City. Now, this is real debt that our country owes to people and to other <clears throat> countries. Now it is over 16 trillion. The estimated population of the United States is 300 and <clears throat> So here's what that means. Each one of us, each one of us sitting in this room and every citizen of the United States owes $51,000 to pay off this national debt. You say, well, that's the government that owes that. I don't really owe that. Oh, yes, you do owe that. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to walk over here to these teenagers. I want you to know something. Jimmy, stand up. <clears throat> How old are you? You're 15. Your country, Jimmy, is $16 trillion in debt. I want to tell you something, Jimmy. You owe right now $51,000. Do you know where they're going to get this? Here's, here's where we're going to get this, Jimmy. <clears throat> we're going to get this <clears throat> from your daddy's paycheck. <laughs> now, I want to tell you something. This is a little bit funny. But what I'm telling him is exactly the truth. Is it not? <clears throat> We're going to get this from your daddy's paycheck. And we want you to go to school <clears throat> and get a good job, Jimmy, because by the time you're out of college, you're going to owe probably in the neighborhood of $70,000. And then we're going to start taking it from your paycheck. <clears throat> We're not stopping, Jimmy. We're, in fact, if it takes all of your paycheck someday and we just give you back what you want or what you need to live on, we'll do it that way. But we're going to have to service this debt. We're going to have to deal with it. This debt is yours, Jimmy. Do you understand that? Thank you. You can be seated. <clears throat> belongs to you. It's, it's nobody else's. <clears throat> Gene, stand up. Gene Fresh, stand up. <clears throat> Gene, may I ask you, I'm going to ask you whether I can or not. <clears throat> How old are you? 77 years old. There's a 15-year-old over there that owes 50 thousand, fifty-one thousand dollars. You know how much you owe, Gene? Fifty-one thousand dollars. Thank you, Gene. <clears throat> Larry, 
$51,000. Susie, $51,000. The national debt has continued to increase an average of almost $4 billion, $4 billion per day since September the 28th, 2007. I think all of us understand that there's a problem with runaway debt of any size. However, there are biblical issues with debt like this. What does the Bible say about greed, about debt, about values in our personal lives and in our life and nation? Well, the first thing is we have to make some good choices. We need to learn to choose value over volume. Let me explain what I mean by that. In the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Now, the Bible says it in a couple of ways. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Proverbs 22 and verse 2, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Now, once we understand that every person is of equal worth to God, then we come to understand that the measures that we place on worth are arbitrary and maybe even worthless. Now, did you get that? God places equal value on each of you. So it could be that then the value that the worth that we place or the measures that we place on worth are just arbitrary and they may be worthless. If, if God is not particularly partial to riches, why should we be? <clears throat> In fact, the verse just prior to Proverbs 22.2, tells, uh, God tells us that there is indeed something of greater value than riches. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is <clears throat> to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better, uh, better than silver and gold. God is not impressed with what any of us have. God is not impressed with what any of us have or what any of us do. But he is interested in what we do with what we have, in what we do with the gifts that that are ours. And the reason that he is interested is because he gave those things to us. Before we work on the size of our bank accounts, we must work on the measure of our character. Jimmy, the thing of greatest concern to you should not be that you are owe today $51,000. The greatest concern to you and to all of your friends today should be that God is looking to measure your character. <clears throat> that is more important to him than anything else. And, and you young people who have such a great desire to grow rich, and, and maybe you will, <clears throat> please know this, that God is more interested in who you are than what you have. <clears throat> Far more interested. All of us have known some good people who had nothing. And all of us have known some people who had everything but were not good people. One of the mistakes that we make in life is in thinking that everyone can or should be rich. Our our declaration didn't say the pursuit of riches. It said the pursuit of happiness. And riches shouldn't be the source of our happiness. It should be a tool. Some can be rich and some can't be rich. 
The truth is that all of us have a measure of riches when compared to other parts of the world, but all of us will not and cannot be rich. You say, come on, man, don't don't rain on my parade. I'm going to be rich. What? You may or may not be rich. If you can be and God wants you to be and you do it the right way, I hope that you are. But I'm going to tell you this, not everybody can sing tenor. Not everybody uh, can run fast. Not everybody, not, not everybody can, uh, can be skinny. I just want to be skinny. <clears throat> Some people can't be skinny. I, look, I will literally have to pass from this life to the next before I'm skinny. It, look, if you walk past... <laughs> <clears throat> if you walk past my casket and somebody says, doesn't he look natural? It's going to be because I look fat. <clears throat> I, in fact, that's what I, if, when I get buried, I, I want you to, Jan, where are you? <clears throat> I want you to put me in something that makes me look fat because I've been fat all my life. It's godly. <clears throat> Well, it is. The Bible says the righteous shall be made fat. <laughs> Look, we, we have a mistake, and we've made a mistake in that we have <clears throat> make value in direct proportion to volume. We think that somebody's value is in direct proportion to how much volume they have in something. Well, let me say this to you. <clears throat> this morning... There is a pastor preaching to 30 people in a little white church on the side of the road somewhere in a town that we didn't know existed. And, and, And listen very carefully. That pastor studied this week for his sermon. That pastor stood up this morning hoping that every seat would be full in his little building, but he probably knew that it wouldn't. That pastor right now is preaching somewhere a sermon just like I'm preaching a sermon right here. Understand this. The size of his congregation does not make him any more valuable as a man of God than the size of my congregation does or make somebody else more valuable to God because of the size of their congregation than than our congregation. We have mixed up value with volume. All of us have drawn in our minds a line of what is too fat or too rich or too fancy or too good or too much and so on and so on. And we draw those lines, but God has never looked at any of us that way. He's not partial. He has something much more important in mind than we have in mind. 1 Samuel 16, 7, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The problem that we have in this nation is in in regard to this thinking is thinking that that someone must, uh, must, uh, is in thinking that someone must be better because of the volume that they have. That's a one-dimensional way of thinking. They are, they are better. They are great <clears throat> because of what they can do. We bemoan entitlements, or at least I do. 
We bemoan entitlements, but we have made this a reality by a personal level of envious and covetousness that we have in our lives. <clears throat> That's the way that entitlement, entitlements came about. Somebody got something and they had it for so long that somebody else said, everybody ought to have that. How can we get everybody to have that? And they <clears throat> started trying to scrape up enough money so that everybody could have what somebody had. And it's just continued to bump up and bump up and bump up and bump up. If we want this fixed in our nation, we, we look, <clears throat> it's, we've got to begin to value who people are to God over what they have in life. Value yourself in that way too. I'm here to tell you, I'm going to say it again in just a moment. If you are that person that thinks this person over here is too rich, the problem with that is that you are looking at volume over value. What difference does it make to me what you drive, how much you make, or where you live? What difference does it make to me if you can sing bass or or tenor or if you can croak like this frog that's been living in my throat for some time now? What difference does it make? It is not volume. It is value. Look, we buried two wonderful men this week, neither of whom had great volume in their lives. They would not be considered rich, but they have tremendous value to us. Little Betty Fell used to sit back there. She couldn't even talk plain and she couldn't walk straight. And, and whenever she would tell you to, to come and talk to her, she would do like this and she couldn't even do her hand like this. She would do her hand in a jerking motion. And, and this woman died with nothing but one of the most valuable members and friends that any of us have ever known. We're messed up up here, folks. <clears throat> Are y'all getting this? We are messed up up here. Our wicked way is that we see volume over value. Here's another priority problem that some have in life and, and have in our country, and that is liquidity over liability. <clears throat> liquidity is the ability to pay bills <clears throat> or make purchases with ease. For instance, if you go to lunch today and you order lunch and you want to pay, the most liquid way to do so is with cash. That's the most liquid way to do so. How much is that? It's $10. <clears throat> Here you go. There's, there's $12. Keep the change uh, for your, uh, your attention. That's the most liquid way. You, you could use a <clears throat> debit or a credit card, which is a pretty liquid way to do it. You might be able, it may be that you could sing for your lunch. <clears throat> you could say, Silver and gold, have I none? But what about this? I'm in the money. I'm in. <clears throat> Maybe you could sing for your lunch. Maybe you could say, I'd like to write an IOU. <clears throat> if you decide to write an IOU, here's what I want you to understand. That your personal worth and wealth has just dropped <clears throat> by the amount that is on that IOU. If you write an IOU for $10, your, your value has just dropped by $10. <clears throat> or your worth, personal worth. 
Let, let me put it to you this way. If you have $3,000 in cash, but you owe 2000 to someone who is expecting payment now, then what you have is $1,000 to spend, not three. Hey, look, I got $3,000 in my bank account. Yeah, but I got this guy over here that uh, wants me to pay him the $2,000 that I owe him. Well, then what I've got is $3,000 in the bank account, but I only really have $1,000 because that's got to go somewhere else. That's the way that works. If you decide that the debt uh, owed can wait because you want to spend $5,000, then here's what you can do. You may spend three and borrow another two. However, you go from being worth $1,000 to being in the hole $4,000. We understand that, don't we? I mean, that's not, that's not higher math. That's not even algebra. That's arithmetic. It's not calculus. It's truly just a, it's, it's just a, a natural thing. It is, it is usually true that, that debt is more of a problem than a solution. Oftentimes when people find themselves in a situation and they say, I've, I've got to, I got to get more liquidity and they, they go and they seek to find some debt to fix their liquidity and they take on a debt, then really what they're doing is just postponing the liquidity crisis that they had at that time. I mean, that's, <clears throat> that's 101, isn't it? Here, here's <clears throat> one of the way, wicked ways that's facing our country today is that we have unceasingly increased our liability in order to have liquidity. <clears throat> we have a need to spend money we do not have. Now, do you know the reason that we have a need to spend money that we do not have? <clears throat> because we have seen volume over value. And we said, we got to have more of this so everybody can have more of this. And we've got to increase the volume because we want everybody to have more. So what we've done is we've squeezed out the liquidity. We've spent money that we do not have. I, I, I do not think the Bible teaches that, that we cannot use financial tools. I believe the Bible, in fact, we can use financial tools. However, there are things that ought to be considered. If you're going to use financial tools, credit cards, <clears throat> if you're going to use lines of credit and, and long-term credit and so forth, there are some rules that you should, should follow, and they are some, <clears throat> some basic rules that all of us should follow, whether it's our home or whether it's our nation. For, for instance, we ought to ask this, is this debt <clears throat> appropriate? Is this an appropriate debt that I'm about to incur? Do you remember this incident from the Old Testament, Genesis 29, uh, 25, 29? Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? So Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. You see what happened right there? Esau totally gave away his future for a bowl of soup today. That's what he did. 
Esau gave up his right to, as the firstborn son to, in order to have a bowl of soup. This is so typical of the thinking of our world today. <clears throat> we are so willing to go in debt for anything that we want in seemingly unlimited amounts. We'll just <clears throat> go in debt for anything. Esau sold his future for a hot bowl of now. <clears throat> if, if any of us were standing around, here's what we would have, I think, shouted, Don't do that! Are you crazy? Look at your daddy. <laughs> He's got everything. <clears throat> you are about to give away your firstborn right. And your daddy's got everything. <clears throat> You're selling the future of your children <clears throat> for something that will be gone in a few hours. Our wicked way of debt could be curtailed if we ask ourselves in advance, is this appropriate? Is this the right thing? Should we keep on charging lunches on credit cards that we will not pay off at the end of the month? Should you take your credit card and say, I want to put $10, uh, I'm putting $10 uh, credit on my credit card, and then in your mind, you know that you're already at your credit limit, and so that $10 next month, you're not going to pay off. You're just going to roll over and get some interest on that, and you're going to pay the interest. You say, wow, look at here. Uh, My $10 meal only cost me a buck 50. Oh, no, it cost you more than that. Cost you 11.50 or whatever it may be. Should we just keep on doing that? Look, do you need a new television so badly that you have to finance it? Do your neighbors not have a TV set? Does your mom and dad, don't they have a TV set? Barring an unforeseen catastrophe, none of us should ever be upside down in debt. Now, certainly the housing market put a lot of people in jeopardy. But that one reality alone should be enough to cause all of us to be cautious about debt. It doesn't take long for you to owe $30,000 on a car that's worth twenty-five. It just doesn't take long for that to happen. <clears throat> that's not appropriate debt. When somebody is upside down, they found themselves in inappropriate debt. <clears throat> we have reason to be frustrated with Washington. But we shouldn't cry too loudly about government spending if if we are not willing to govern our own spending. Not all debt is appropriate. Never go into debt for an expense or the short-term asset. Here's the way they say in Economics 101 at at TCC. Never sacrifice the long-term for the the short-term. Never go in debt for an expense or a short-term asset. Even on long-term assets, don't obligate yourself beyond the value of them. The first thing you have to ask is, is it appropriate? Here's the second thing. Is it manageable? We're talking about debt. Sometimes company will choose to get a line of credit to help with cash flow. And in some ways, that, those are debts of choice. Now, if that kind of debt or any debt of choice puts you on the edge of your ability to exist, then you have a debt that is not manageable. A lot of people have debts. A lot of fine Christian people have debts. A lot of companies have debts. But you have to ask, was that debt appropriate? And is that debt manageable? One of the reasons that there is such an outcry about our national debt is because it is not manageable right now. It's just not manageable. Our current gross domestic product, and the gross domestic product is the collective value of all goods and services in a given year. 
Everything that America and Americans make or uh, any service that they do in a given year, all of that, uh, that's our gross domestic product. Right now, it is slightly less than our national debt. We owe 103% of what we make in our national debt. I think, and, and you say, well, is that really bad? Because, I mean, if you buy a house, you can buy a house. The maximum limit is, is four times your annual income, and the, uh, the average is like three times your annual income. You could, if you make 100000 a year, you can buy a $300,000 house pretty easily. I mean, isn't that uh, okay? That's not the kind of debt we're talking about. We're, we're talking about a whole different kind of debt. We're talking about credit card debt. And, and our GDP is 103%, or our, our debt is 103% of our GDP. You, you say, how bad is that? China's GDP ratios are less than 25%. And from what I understand of our national debt, we owe about 10% of it to China. If, if this was a long-term real estate purchase, that ratio may not be all that bad, but it's just credit. Let me put it to you like this. It's like you making $75,000 annually, and you have a $78,000 visa bill <clears throat> that continues to grow every single month, and the only thing you can do is pay part of the credit. So what you do is you borrow money to pay more of the, the finance charges. Do you see a problem with this? If you don't, you should. You should see a problem. Nothing can work that way for very long. Nothing. Nothing can. There is a verse that tells us that, that we can carry a tab on one part of our lives, but that's it. Romans 18 or 13, 8. Owe no man anything except love to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. All of that begs this question about the appropriateness of debt. Is it overwhelming? What happens when we owe so much that we'll never be able to pay off the debt? Well, that is when either bankruptcy or some kind of debt reorganization happens. And and what happens when something like that takes place? Well, until you recover, your financial ability is shot. Now, before you calculate something in your head, you say, I know about somebody that went in bankruptcy and within three months they were getting all kinds of credit card offers. You know why? Because other credit card companies saw that these people are willing to uh, work on debt and, and they put themselves in a situation where they can't bankrupt again for a period of time. So they're shoving the debt down their throat and putting them in a deeper hole. <clears throat> you, you cannot always predict the future and sometimes unforeseeable issues come into play. However, when someone consistently outspends their income, they are asking for it. I remember in, in elementary school, there, was, there were these kids that would totally pick on other kids and totally pick on them, pick on them and pick on them until the other kid had enough. And they said, you're asking for it, boom! 
And it didn't even get a blip on the screen when I was in school because everybody knew what you're asking for it meant. <clears throat> Before adding to your liability, you've got to ask this. Have the costs been counted? Jesus asked a very practical question, one that each of us should ask ourselves. Every business should keep at the front of every business day in our country ought to consider. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 28, he says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? In our nation today, we seem to be good at kicking the can down the road and blaming someone else for the problems that we have and sending the pork back to the hometowns. But we aren't much on counting the costs. We're just not much. I'll use one local example, and I'll just use one local example. This turtle bridge up here on North Monroe. Now, now let me tell you something. That, that turtle, that, that millions of dollars were spent so that those turtles could cross safely underneath the road instead of going across the road and getting run over. Here's what they've done. Jimmy, stand up. <laughs> the, the federal government, because someone was asked and it was stuck in some sort of a pork bill, the, the federal government said, your future is not nearly as important as getting those turtles across the road. Think about that the next time Mama brings turtle soup home. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. Stay ready. You may stand up again. <clears throat> Look, let, let, me, let me put it in very practical terms as far as I'm concerned. I have a couple of grandchildren who will someday be young adults. They will have hopes and dreams like Jan and I had and their parents have. In my family and in my country, I have to count the cost today to be sure that they can uh, have the chance to live out their hopes and dreams. I want that little boy that you're looking at on the screen. I want that little boy to have hopes and dreams that he can really count on. I want them to have a spiritual heritage, but also an opportunity to develop the gifts and abilities that God has given them. There are a lot of great athletes and musicians and great minds and potential leaders who cannot find the opportunity because of the wicked ways of those who have planned and prepared for them. If God has placed inside of that little boy the ability to be a, a great musician, I don't want my generation to have such wicked ways that he'll never be able to, uh, to afford whatever uh, musical instrument he would play. And on and on it goes. Unbridled debt is a weight that we put around the necks of our children and our children's children. It happens when we fail to see the real value of life. And, and why? For want of this and that placing liabilities on our lives that go beyond our ability to pay in the span of our lifetime. Here's the thing that we want to make sure. We want to make sure that we don't get cut out. I don't care if they cut this and I don't care. Just don't cut me out. I'm going to tell you something, friends. 
When you do surgery on your budget at home, you got to cut some stuff out. You got to do without it. You have to. You just have to. Let me give you one more thing, and, and that is we, we have to learn to choose giving over getting. Acts 20 and 35, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Purposes are best served when all of us give. The Bible says that God does love a cheerful giver. I'd truly like to experience that in my lifetime, to see people give cheerfully without hesitation. Why don't people give to church and to the poor and to other causes they, sh- they should? Well, the underlying problem that we've been talking about all along is greed. We are a greedy world. There's no question that we live in a time of great greed. Another reason for prosperous people like ourselves not giving as we should is because of our entitlement society. We have gotten ourselves in the position of believing that the government's going to take care of this or the government's going to take care of that, and, and we have totally forgotten, Jimmy, stand up, <laughs> that he's the one taking care of it. He's the government. He's the one I'm going to leave the bill with. Him. Thank you. You know, in Germany, the churches are supported by the taxes of the people. Did you know that? They are. They're supported by their state, state churches. They're supported by the taxes of the people. Now, they still receive offerings, but there isn't much response because the people know that they've already paid for the church in their taxes. The blessing of giving has been taken away from them by the taxation of the government. One reason for the society of debt in which we live is to pay for some things that we should and could be doing as a church if we really gave. That too is one of our wicked ways. We are in trouble in America and it'll not get better until we humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways. All of us want to pray for the wicked ways of our country, but we don't want to pray for the wicked ways of ourselves. All of us want to pray for the wicked ways of those guys that we elect to send up there. All of us want to pray for their wicked ways. Some people want to pray for the wicked ways of the Republicans. Other people want to pray for the wicked ways of the Democrats. What we really need to be doing is praying for our wicked ways. Will we pray for our outlook on life and our own wicked ways? Can we let others prosper without our having an opinion of how much is too much? Is it okay with you for somebody else to prosper? Is that all right with you? Will it be okay for someone else to do well, or are you still going to place volume over, over value? Are you going to still value somebody by what they have and not who they are? Why don't you stop forming opinions about people by what they have or don't have? Would you stop that? Is that the way you want me to form my opinion of you? you? Say, Pastor Ray, you're fired up. I am. I'm ticked off is what I am. And, and, I, and don't get me wrong. I'm not ticked. This isn't a partisan ticked off. 
This is a biblical ticked off. We care too much about things. All of us do. You say, well, that's right. That's why I want to make sure that we uh, give everybody everything. See, once again, that's a caring too much about things. We need to go back to caring about who we are. We need to go back to making honesty the most important thing that a kid can learn. We need to go, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, I'm, I'm so balled up with things to say, I can't even say them. Can we value who God made us instead of wanting to be who we made someone else? We'll pray for our country. We, we will pray for our country and, and stop the runaway spending, but will we pray for ourselves and stop our own runaway spending? Will we cut up credit cards that have a stranglehold on us? We certainly don't want higher taxes, but will we give to the cause? Can we ourselves stop being greedy? I want you to read this passage with me as we close. If my people, read it with me. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Probably all of us who can vote will vote in November. That's not going to heal our land. Just not. We're going to have to turn from our wicked ways. We're going to have to humble ourselves and pray. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week at this same time for the Family Bible Hour.